Hello, and welcome to the podcast M&A Stories, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I'm Robert Heaton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Toby Tester. In these podcasts, Toby and I share our experiences on various projects that we've both been involved in over the course of our careers, talking about things that have gone well, things that didn't go too well, and things that just completely failed. The purpose of this is that we're hoping that our listeners will learn some valuable lessons from those experiences and that those lessons can be taken forward into your M&A projects. We hope you enjoy listening. So let's get this podcast underway. Hey, Robert. Hi. How are you going there? I'm good, thanks, Toby. It's uh, shutdown week number three, I think. We're, we're, we're you know got serious restrictions on movement, and my wife was just reminding me that she's been working from home since the beginning of March. Wow, it's crazy wow. times. Wow. And you got your? Have you got your uh, masks and you know? I've done all that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Robert, what's it like down in Melbourne at the moment? What's the weather like? It's actually relatively dry, but it's still damn cold. I mean, it's okay. classic Melbourne winter. You know, yeah. I think I think temperature today is going to reach a high of thirteen. Okay, all right. Well, of course, it's been raining up here in Sydney, and pretty good rain. So, but anyway, you know, it's, it's, you know, at least the grass is green. As much as I can say about it, really. But anyway, Robert, we had a an interesting chat last week, and I think a really important topic about making sure that whenever you're doing a deal, that you do keep the customer involved in the deal process, particularly pre-deal. Speak to the uh, customer, so using them as a sort of a sounding board before you know inking any kind of deal, and yeah. then keeping them involved throughout the whole closing and integration process. So always making sure you take account of obviously shareholders, making sure that financially this is an appropriate deal. Involve staff and making sure they're part, they're involved in the journey, but also customers as well. Yeah. Now, I think this this week what we're doing is we're actually going to go into the customers in, in more detail. It's a really interesting area, and this is the whole area of sales integration. And Absolutely. so this is, I think, going to be fascinating and, and understanding sales integration, where it can go well and where it can potentially also go off rail. So maybe... Um, open up uh, Robert and um, you know, give us a bit of an introduction into the whole sales integration process. Well, well the bad news to start with Toby is that I'm, I'm not going to tell a story this week. <laughs> I was thinking about your podcast last week and it triggered my thoughts about sales integration Yeah, and it started me to reflect on a collection of experiences I've had over multiple deals that I've been involved in and I, and I finally sat down and I thought I'm, I'm actually going to talk about that so rather than a a story where there was an issue or so on, if you're in agreement, I'm going to jump straight into almost the, the lessons learned. Part. Good, Robert. But interesting enough, I mean, I think for the benefit of others, maybe if you just give a quick sort of bio on, on your own sales experience and, and what you can bring to the table in terms of sales integration. Yeah, I could do that in, in, in a high level. So I've, I've had a, a long career in the tech industry and I've always had responsibility for what the, the industry calls sales enablement or sales operations. Right. And I, I always try and use the analogy of this. 
sales operations director or VP takes responsibility for everything to do with selling Mm. other than the physical act of going in front of customers. So if you think about a sports coach, let's say the, the Australian cricket team, he deals with their training, he deals with their psychology, he deals with their diets, he deals with their exercise, he deals with their equipment, sponsors, everything. The only thing he doesn't do is walk out on the field with a bat and play. Yep. Yep. And that was that was me in the tech industry. Uh, so okay. Interesting, Robert. I kind of look upon you as a kind of like a sales integration guru when it comes to um, M&A. Yeah, I covered all the facets. and what <laughs> is my, That is my expertise area. Right. Yeah. So hence the importance of uh, this particular podcast and uh, sales integration. So you were going to go into the key lessons and bring them right up front. And so... What we, why don't you hit us with the key lessons associated with sales integration? Well, what got me thinking about this was your comments last week about outside in and inside out. If you think about any post-deal scenario, you've usually ended up with two of everything. And, and last week you said, did anyone speak to the customer? And, you know, your comment was, you know, that's a really important audience that you need to be talking to. And it kicked me off and I thought, yeah, but hang on a minute. When you've done an acquisition, you get two sets of customers. You've got two sales teams, two marketing departments, two product ranges, two, you know, the list goes on. Indeed. So I thought using your outside in and inside out approach, we might just walk through that and basically give some pointers to people about where they ought to start thinking their, and putting their attention. Okay, that sounds very good. So let's start off with outside in then, Robert. What are your pointers or questions that you should be asking? Well, the first thing to understand is that whenever you've got a deal taking place, at some point in time, customers become aware of it. Mm. And whether you like it or not, they start to show concern. And and some of the typical questions you'll get is, all oh, right, okay, well, they're going to be too big now. I won't be important anymore. Right. I'm going to drop down the list of importance on their customer list. There'll be other people sitting there going, right, okay, price rise coming up. Quick, where's our renewal contract? Right. <laughs> of course, your competitors will be trying to profit from that uncertainty in the marketplace. Mm. So so you'll often get customers sort of going, oh, yeah, well, the, the, that competitor's been calling us a lot recently. Well, why don't we get them in to see what they've got to talk about? Sure, yeah. All of those sort of challenges... So your ability to engage with both existing and new customers very early on in the action is critical. And essentially saying there is it's your perfect opportunity right up front to provide assurances. So let those customers know pricing isn't going to change, that the contract terms that they've communicated are going to be honoured, and and basically to let them know why this acquisition is going to be of benefit. Right, right. Very, very important. Very important. It's funny, you you draw a sort of corollary. I'm just, as I'm listening to you, Robert, it's like same thing you do with staff. You know, say your terms and conditions are going to be the same. It's going to be business as usual, but maintaining a dialogue as you go through. So it's always keeping that dialogue going with your customers. Yeah. Now, there's one point I will make about this. When, when you're talking to acquired customers, there's always a tendency to give the sales reps 
a, a communication sheet and say, go out and talk to all the customers about that. Okay? No. My argument is don't do that. That's a mistake. Let your sales reps do what they're good at doing, which is selling. But when you're communicating to your new customers who don't know you yet and haven't heard about you as such, mm. right? Assign that to your senior managers. Right. 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 And, and get senior manager to senior manager contact. Make that customer feel wanted, right? Right. Senior people are focused on retaining and growing long-term relationship, whereas salespeople, unfortunately, are more focused on short-term deals. In other words, they're more transactional. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah, and this is a strategic move. And the other thing, of course, and if you don't give salespeople accurate information, they invent it. Yeah, okay. All right. right? Yeah. And that's the yeah. last thing you want because one yes. of the key things you need to be with communication, particularly to outside audiences, is you need to be clear and you need to be consistent. Correct. Otherwise, you know, it's funny you say that because you get the old FUD factor coming into play, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, you can easily sort of spark a storm and you think, oh, my God, you know, if someone said the wrong thing and it's just gone through the rumor mill and all of a sudden you have to start putting out fires. Well, well, here's the classic example, and I won't spend too much time on it, but let's just set, set this scenario. You've given the sales guy a pre-laid out statement that he needs to make to the customer, mm. right? So the sales guy goes along and says, oh, yeah, you know, you probably heard about our acquisition and rack, rack, rack. And he goes through the mechanics of yeah. that statement. And the customer turns around and says, oh, right, okay. So is that going to affect our pricing? Because well, I think we've got a three-year contract with you guys. Yeah. And the sales guy hasn't got an answer. Right? Mm. And the one thing that sales guys don't like doing is not being able to answer a question. Yeah. So they invent it. So that sales guy turns around and goes, oh, yeah, no, there's going to be no price changes at all. And you, no, your, your prices that agreed are locked in solid for, yeah. for years. Yeah. That may not be the case. Yeah, indeed. So, so you've got to put that responsibility in the hands of senior managers. Right. Okay. That sounds yeah. good. Uh, so from your perspective, uh, Rob, you know, obviously we're dealing with the outside-in perspective. Do you want to move on to sort of like perhaps the flip side, the inside-out view? Yeah. On the inside-out considerations a technical term i'm going to use there's a bucket load of options that we could talk about yeah. <laughs> right yeah. so again i'm just going to give a a high level view and some yeah. advice on each one and okay. i'm going to start off with the communication strategy because we've we've already said before in other podcasts communicate early be clear in your communication and be consistent but it's equally important that you include all your external parties in that communication and customers come yeah. top of the list. Mm. Suppliers and contractors and other third parties also, of course. But effective communication is one of your first opportunities to show where and how value is going to be created for the customer, not for you, sure. for them. Sure. What does it yeah. mean for them? Yeah. So, so that's number one is your your communication strategy. Okay, communication okay. strategy. Okay, good. I think the next topic is sales culture. Right. What I mean by this is, imagine this scenario: you've you've made an acquisition, and your sales team 
mantra is that we're going to communicate with customers and we're going to nurture customers and we've got to grow the long-term relationship and it's got to be based on uh, a platform of mutual respect and adding value and all of a sudden you've made an acquisition which might strategically be right for you but you suddenly find out that the sales team on that side of the deal Mm. are what I call kill-and-run merchants. (laughs) Their only intent is to get in and get the business at any cost. Right. Those two sales cultures are absolutely opposites with each other, and it's Mm. never going to work if you don't do something serious about it. Well, it's an interesting area. How have you reconciled, you know, such divergent cultures when it comes to sales? There's a couple of things, uh, and again, I'll, I'll just keep this at a very high level. Yeah. The first one is you've got to do some drastic surgery at the sales leadership level because mm. that, that leadership is normally a sales culture, if you like. Mm. Yep. So you've got to do some drastic surgery at that level. And the second thing is that people probably heard me say this before, salespeople are coin-operated. Right? Mm. They don't mm. work unless you put money in them. And so the commission structure is the set next lever that you've got right, to right. drive behavior. Right, okay. Now, if, you, if you're in a scenario where you've got such diverse cultures, you're going to get a lot of fallout because culture attracts certain types of salespeople hmm. and you may find yourself with a lot of fallout, but you cannot allow your inherent culture to be affected by a more negative culture. Whether you like it or not, drastic surgery is necessary. Okay, sounds like two surgeries required. One is in a leadership perspective because people model their behavior off the leaders. So leadership surgery and also surgery when it comes to incentives and commissions. Yes, yeah. Yeah, Okay. Okay. I'll I'll lead into that a little bit more later on. Okay, so the next one. So combined sales teams and combined org restructure, which is really a sort of a replay of what we just talked about. Yeah. Right? You suddenly got two sets of sales teams and two sets of sales leaderships and mm-hmm. you know everything else. So you want to bring those together as soon and as smoothly as you can. And this is the perfect opportunity to align your sales leadership and choose leaders that are going to be the right leaders for the business going forward. Mm. Okay. Uh, and my view always is that your sales organization is your face to the customer. Yep. And so you want to make sure that that organization is operating efficiently, effectively, and that it's growing and it's, it's building a thing called, I call KLT, right? It's, yeah. Knowledge, like, and trust. Mm. Uh, it means that when you're engaging with a customer, you're delivering knowledge and the customer sees it as that. Like, actually like these people. I like the way they're engaging with me mm. and trust. I can trust what they tell me. And when they say they're going to do something, they do it. Right. Okay. Uh, and so your sales organization needs to be mirroring those sort of traits to your customer. Mm. Getting that organizational structure right is something you should pay very early attention to post-deal. Good, good. 
Okay. And so interesting from that perspective, Robert, how would you sort of like match up the sales compensation with that structure? I mean, is that, that is that the next big thing to look at? Yeah, absolutely. Sales compensation drives behavior, period. Mm. That's it. Right. And it's an extremely emotive topic as well. Because in sales compensation, it often comes with a whole factor of uh, a whole pile of add-on things like you you get a car allowance, you get a mobile phone, you've got a swanky laptop that you use for presentations, you probably get parking allowances, all those different add-ons that Mm. sales guys get that they sort of see as badges of honor. So it becomes very emotive. But again, there's no perfect time to go and change your sales compensation model. And when you do an acquisition, the sales compensation model that you've got isn't necessarily the best one either for the combined business. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfect time to sit down, re-examine your compensation model, re-examine what the best model ought to be for the business going forward right. and, and find an early mechanism to bring everybody onto the same model. Right. The other thing I'll say here as well is that post-deal, you've often got low-hanging fruit that's immediately available to you. So this is also a great time to include short-term incentives into the model Right. To drive immediate behavior for cross-sell and upsell opportunities. Right, okay, yep. So, so again, you know, procrastination's not your friend in that area. Act quickly, get that compensation model changed and in place. Fine. And, and the right leadership will help support you through that process. That's good. Now, so, so Robert, you know, that, that's good in terms of compensation. I, I agree. It, it's absolutely critical to get that worked out early in the piece, and particularly those short-term incentives, uh, making yeah. sure you've got the cross-sell and upsell, because that's all part of the quick wins you want to achieve as part of an integration. So in terms of methodology or like the, the process you go through, how would that change or what would that look like in a typical integration scenario? Well, Methodology is the way that you go about selling. Right? Right. It's that it's that step-by-step approach of how you initially prospect, how you start to engage a customer, how you uh, then get to a point where you consider that customer's what we call qualified, meaning there's a real deal that you can mm-hmm. work through and so on. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, customers get used to your methodology. They, they know how you operate and they're comfortable with it. Yeah. And, and to some extent, they they use it for their own internal purposes as well to manage yeah. their own buying process. Indeed, okay. indeed. And um, interesting enough, this often matches up with the systems that you're using as well. So the whole process and the systems, so, 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 you know, all sort of like cogs, they all, it all works together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and in fact, why don't we lump those two, two together? Because... The sales methodology is the the way you go about selling. Mm, mm. And again, if you've got different methodologies in the two teams, then bringing them together into a uh, single methodology is is the right thing to be doing. The Mm. only caution I'll give there is sales methodology often takes longer to change than people might think. Mm. So whilst you would try and do it sooner rather than later, 
you need to accept it's probably going to take longer than you think for that to happen. Well, I think that's a because sometimes it takes a little while for the systems to catch up. Because, for example, like if you're using SAP, which underpins your the whole sales process, perhaps, yeah. then there are system changes that need to be made, and then you, you're not going to get it reflected in the systems up front. Uh, true. And in fact, why don't we just lump a whole pile of other things yeah. to the next conversation, which is, you, you've hit on it, CRM systems, yeah. uh, sales systems, invoicing systems, mm. uh, customer contracts, internal contracts. At some point, you want to reach a point where all of your salespeople are on the same employment contract mm. with the same terms and conditions and the same perks. Mm. Externally, you want to make sure that all of your customers are on common customer contracts. Yeah. From a CRM point of view, the last thing you want is customer information in two separate databases. So you want to bring that together yeah. so that you've got one source of records, one source of accuracy, one owner for each account, mm. right? And I'll just add a point in here. It's also a great thing at this time to actually do a CRM cleanup because almost mm. every CRM system you come across will have, <laughs> will have rubbish in it. I'm sure there is. I've seen that, I've seen that a few times. Well, I've, I've always been an advocate with sales leaders to say, at least twice a year, yeah. you need to do a systematic spring clean of mm. your CRM. Get rid of the crap, get rid of the old stuff, right. get rid of the deals that aren't going to go anywhere and just clean it up so you've got a more consistent view of your, your opportunity. And, and if you think about it, CRM and sales systems is where you manage pipeline. And from that, it's where you manage revenue projections, forecasting. Mm. So having all of that in one place, one view, one source of truth is something you really need to jump on early. Sounds like sort of from an integration perspective, it's an area that you'd want to be leaping on really soon, yeah. getting some kind of integrated view of the customer and trying to do that, make that a kind of like a quick win, perhaps, you know, as part of the integration process. If you can do that in your first 100 days, that really is, for me, a critical thing you need to work okay. on. Okay. And, and having the right resources to focus on that. So, again, you want someone that knows their way around CRM, that okay. you can give them that task and they can apply themselves to it and you're not distracting them into other areas of the integration. That's good. That's good. And... If I can, I'm going to lead on to one last topic because we okay. can go all day with this. Uh, <laughs> and that's customer and market segmentation, right? Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay. It's, it's an area, another area that's overlooked often. But think about this. So you're a business and <clears throat> someone comes along and says, hey, Toby, who's your top 10 customers? And you go, oh, that's easy. It's this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Mm. Right? Oh, terrific. And which industry do you get your majority of your revenue from? And Toby turns around and says, oh, well, it's, it's this one, but it's very closely followed by this one. Great. Okay. Day one after the acquisition, somebody asks you the same question. You don't know. Mm. Yeah, it's very we've just We've just acquired new markets and new customers and all yeah. what used to be our top 10 might not be anymore yes and the industry that we 
thought we used to be dominant in might actually have fallen into second or third place. Mm-hmm. So once you've sorted out that single view of your customers, it's a great opportunity then to do what I call customer and market segmentation. Right. Meaning who are the group of customers that are really important to us for our future revenue? And then who's next and who's after that and who's after that, right? And where do we put our resources? Are we still going to focus predominantly on the engineering industry or is that now changed to manufacturing. Mm, mm, lot to consider here, Rob. I must admit, you're you're opening up a lot of effort. I think that needs to be put up front to make sure that you're you're segmenting the market and the customers correctly. Yeah. In, look, in my perfect world, mm. post deal, you would get someone like myself who's mm. you know lives and breathes sales environments mm. and probably somebody with a bit of technical skill and one other person um, and you put that team onto mm. the sales integration. That's yeah. all they are focused on mm. doing in the first three months of the yeah, deal. That's such an important area. Yeah. Dedicated team that just does that. And it makes me think, you know, whether, you know, organizations give it this kind of folk, the focus it really does need, and perhaps it's sort of left to fester on its own while you know, integration happens in other areas, for example, like in technology or, or, or process, but not so much on the sales side. We often go for the what I call the bleeding obvious, you know. Yeah. So we want to get the balance sheet right and the finances need to be right. And we bring yep. systems together and we, you know, yep. we do organizational change. Yeah. But sales drives your revenue. Yes. Right. Yeah. The, the, the sales organization is your face to the market. Yeah. And you get that face wrong and the market will react to you pretty quickly and pretty severely. Well, I can imagine that you might actually get a big sort of revenue drop. Like say, for example, you signed a deal, you close, and then if you don't address this, you're going to get a revenue dip. Correct. And that can be quite alarming given that you what you thought you were trying to achieve was a revenue uplift. You actually might be going in reverse unless you address the sales integration side properly. Yeah, and, and just one point to pick up on that, mm. going back to the culture again, if if you've got salespeople who are half looking towards whether they should be jumping ship and moving somewhere else because they're not sure about their job security, uh, mm. et cetera, then they're not focused on the job they're supposed to be doing and they're not focused on delivering value to the customer. Yes. Right? That results in negatives on two levels. Mm. One, at the customer level, because the customer picks up on that, likely to then go and move to a competitor. Yeah. And secondly, your sales guys aren't going to make their quota. So your revenue mm. drops. Mm. And so you've got you've got danger on two levels. One is you're not achieving the, the targets you want to achieve for revenue. And two, you're going to have customer drain. So yeah. approaching these areas and getting these integrated up front and getting the the combined team energized yes. and confident out there talking to clients is is crucial. I, I can imagine the list goes on in this uh, because you raised such an important area, um, Robert, and I think an area that perhaps I think in a lot of acquisitions, certainly the ones I've been involved in, where it, I don't think it's been addressed all that well. 
And as a result, I think that the revenue has dropped post-deal and um, it took a while to pick up until, of course, the whole sales uh, marketing process got its gear and act together. But it's great if you can be basically out from the starting blocks, ready to run right from the very beginning. And um, it's not often the case. Yeah. And, and the point I'll say about this is that, yeah, it's hard work. You really do need to focus attention on this early, but it's not rocket science. Yeah. Right? Okay. Uh, it's just good organizational change practice, but with a particular focus on the sales function of a business. I'll repeat that. Organizational change practice with a particular focus on sales. Yeah, that's it. You know, Robert, I must admit, as we speak, I I somehow feel that we need to visit this one again because I think there's more that could be said around this on some of the key points that you've made. This topic could be a podcast series all on its own. (laughs) And I'm sure sure we're going to revisit this in other episodes. But just for a minute, think about some of the critical areas that we haven't mentioned yet. Yes. One of them is is one of your favourite areas, which is product and services consolidation yes yeah when you bring two product sets together yeah. right we haven't talked about sales policies and procedures and sales governance mm. you okay. know they're the controlling factors of how you manage your sales organization pipeline and revenue projection pipeline management is mm. a critical part if you're in a listed business You've, you've got to gauge your investors with your forward revenue projections. And if your mm. mechanism for doing that is broken, your, your share price drops. If you're integrating products and marketing, industry grouping and services and all that sort of thing, the organizational change that needs to be aligned around that mm. also is a key area. Yes. So that you end up with a combined offer to the market, but you've actually got a good leadership structure behind that that is yep. driving that new new business and then of course being a sales guy i haven't even touched on marketing yet we don't we don't talk yeah. about marketing in sales uh, but your marketing department and, and the, the the way it's structured yeah they're reliant on data and the campaigns they can help you with are mm. equally critical factors post deal because Absolutely. that again drives future revenue it does. Well, it, it, it drives demand in the you know post deal, which is so important. Yeah. So, uh, tell you what, it's a very interesting uh, topic, this uh, Robert. And with just the odd couple of minutes we just got left, why don't you just sort of quickly summarise? You know what what we've just covered. Okay. Well, uh, from my point of view, please treat sales as a critical part of your M and A integration, if not the most critical part. It's not rocket science. But you do need to reach a point where it is customer focused. You've got one face to the customer, one source of truth about your customer data, and that you've got efficient mechanisms and everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. That's the goal of sales integration. There are many other areas we can talk about in the future, but that's essentially what we need to do uh, to close off this podcast we've only just scratched the surface yeah so i guess that's my summary toby fantastic well look robert look we'll be back again next week with another podcast story 
But in the meantime, I think the points that Robert's raised in this podcast are absolutely critical regarding the sales functions. So by all means, feel free to connect with Robert or myself. Uh, we just love talking about M&A and are happy to help what your situation might be. But otherwise, we'll speak again and um, this time next week. I think that's definitely goodbye from me. Thank <laughs> you. It's been great talking to you. Okay. Bye.